The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Like a modern slave, Mr. Jailer. I've got the. Our uniforms, your uniforms too.
Yes. Good evening, South Africa. 24th of April. Happy birthday, Mandlengosi Mapekwe, turning 51 today. In studio, we have the Minister of Correctional Services and Justice, but we're going to focus on the correctional services element because he's wearing that hat today. Advocate Michael Masuta and will be joined on the phone as well by attorney at Lawyers for Human Rights and head of the Prisoners' Rights Litigation Program, Miss Claire Bollard. But before we do that, we have to take an ad break before we get into the meat of this program. And we're talking about human rights in this month of April, specifically the rights of inmates. Everybody must have a story to tell for so long as you're in South Africa. Your relationship in whichever way, your relationship with prisoners, a prison, or correctional facilities of any kind. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Safari Live is back on SABC3 to kill your Sunday blues. We've had an action-packed start to Season 2. So join us as we continue to delve into the fascinating lives of our favourite lions, leopards and hyenas, live from the Masai Mara Triangle in Kenya and our very own Western Kruger. Hop aboard the world's biggest safari and send us your questions in real time this Sunday evening at 6.30pm on SABC3. SAFM 104-107 Nationwide. Yeah, we are back and we are in conversation with Claire Bollard and Advocate Michael Masuta. The former is an attorney at Lawyers for Human Rights and head of the Prisoners' Rights Litigation Program, as well as the Minister in the Department of Justice and Correctional Services, Advocate Michael Masuta. So you can be very well sure that this is going to be a very legal discussion and debate with men and women who understand precisely what it is that we are talking about. And perhaps as a preface, I do want to just send out a shout-out to the com- community of Mtata and all the way through to KZN and just above that, all the way to Richards Bay, the people of the Eastern Cape and KZN in particular, we do send our thoughts out to you. And to the extent that South Africa does commiserate with your plight, we certainly are aware and we, we send all the goodwill your way. There was also a very disturbing story that I can't not mention on air, and we are following up on that. The research conducted by Professor Elmarita Blanche at the University of Stellenbosch, and I don't have to say too much about that, but it is sufficiently disturbing enough to the extent that we have invited Stellenbosch University's management uh, to be in conversation. The VC is not available, as is the DVC for Research and Innovation, who's in Rwanda, the latter that is. We have extended similar invitations to the Department of Health Sciences. No response from there. Management is not willing to talk about this at all. So... Professor Elmarita Blanche has confirmed that she'll be in a position to consider interviews tomorrow. And to the extent that we can follow up on the story, we'll be sure to have this conversation. This, of course, is taking place bearing in mind that there is a constitutional right and freedom being academic freedom. And in that regard, we want to we want to hear her side of the story. I've, I've, I've seen and heard what is sufficiently disturbing for me. And I will be in a position to obviously engage the academic and if possible if they change their mind the institution at large so bear that in mind as well Claire Ballard attorney at lawyers for human rights and head of the prisoners rights litigation center let me start off with you before I go to the minister what has your work yielded when we talk about human rights when we talk about the rights of those who are marginalized who are vulnerable who are at the mercy of abuse what have you come up with as a fingerprint of South Africa's status of human rights as it pertains to prisoners. 
Good evening. Thank you, Songezo. Look, I, I think it's important to start off by making it clear that we have a very robust um, f- uh, prisoners' rights fl- framework or legislative framework. We have a very powerful um, uh, group of provisions in, the, in, the, in our Constitution's Bill of Rights, which, is, which, which are made uh, clearer further by what we call the Correctional Services Act. So very, very clear rules and guidelines um, many of which are non-negotiable, uh, to which our government must um, comply. Those pertain to conditions of detention, the right to education, health care. Um, but, but essentially, I think you can, you can sum it all up um, by saying, really, it's about how we, what kind of conditions um, are prevalent in our, in our correctional centres today. And I think given the rate of assaults, the frustration at the delays in parole, um, the frustrations around... Um, access to healthcare and um, education facilities, not to mention the, the deplorable levels of, of overcrowding um, and, and rate, of, rate of assaults. I, I think our, the current um, scenario is bleak. Hi, Claire. Are you still there? I'm here, yes. Okay. From a constitutional perspective, what are these rights to which you refer and what are the entitlements, what are the inherent obligations of the state as it pertains to prisoners, human beings, in a constitutional dispensation before we can start now teasing whether or not the state is meeting these obligations or failing? And if there are failures, where the failures are. And we will cross, of course, after that to the minister to give us an expression from his side. Certainly. So I think we, you know, the Constitution acknowledges firstly that that inmates, unlike any other vulnerable uh, citizen of, of the country, is, is entirely dependent on the state for for all its needs, um, from the right to vote to um, facilitating access to education materials, to healthcare, to ad- adequate nutrition, um, to various uh, vocational and, and psychosocial services. I mean, the list goes on and on and on because it's the you know it, it's a full range of, of human needs. Um, and, and there are very clear guidelines about, no, they're not guidelines, um, they're rules in the legislation about what must be provided or what cannot be removed. Um, so, for example, there's a very clear uh, space requirement, square meterage space requirement to which, um, to which each uh, prisoner is, in, is entitled, and that is 3.4 square meters. And, um, if you take the, you know, the global average of inmates in the country, we know that um, uh, the, the current square meterage to, to which, or cubic meterage to which um, prisoners are accommodated in this is well below. One example. Uh, the okay. prison, for example, yes. No? So, sorry, 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 I'm, I'm just having a problem with your connectivity. Every now and then something is breaking. But I think we get the gist of it. We get the the, the, the constitutional obligations, and they really do speak to Section 10 of the Constitution, and that is the right to human dignity. Would that be a fair assessment in a word or two? Okay, we seem to have lost Claire for a moment there, but I'm just going to cross over to the Department um, of Justice, Constitutional Development, as well as Correctional Services Advocate Michael Masuta. Claire spoke about the dignity question, and I think if I can just read at page 2 of a report penned by Justice Edwin Cameron, this is a 20... 15 report on Polsma Correctional Center, particularly the Remand Center and Women's Center. At paragraph 4 thereof, he, he writes, and I quote, The Constitution provides that detainees and sentenced prisoners have the right of conditions of detention that are consistent with human dignity. The provision requires that, at a minimum, 
Prisoners and detainees should have access to exercise, adequate accommodation, nutrition, reading material, and medical treatment. In addition, the Correctional Services Act stipulates that correctional centers must have, among other things, again, this is at a minimum, sufficient space to enable inmates to move freely and sleep comfortably within the confines of their cells, accommodation is properly ventilated, cells with sufficient natural and artificial lightning that allows inmates to read and write, sufficient and accessible ablution facilities available to all inmates at all times, including access to hot and cold water for washing purposes, a separate bed and bedding for every inmate which provides adequate warmth for the climate conditions and which complies with hygienic requirements. That pretty much sounds like the experience one has at a hotel. Your response to that, Minister? Well, if <clears throat> and good evening to all the listeners and expressing appreciation for the partnership that we continue to enjoy with um, various um, entities, including civil society organizations like the one uh, represented in, in, on this show, uh, because this assists us, uh, you know, in extending our reach uh, in terms of picking up some of these challenges, um, including the visitation by the judiciary and in particular um, uh, JIX, the Judicial Inspectorate. But just starting with Palsmo, indeed, we had um, a uh, worse than normal situation um, a, a few years ago, around that time, I think it was, um, when there was uh, an actual uh, outbreak um, of a disease as a result of infestation um, <clears throat> by rodents because of um, primarily because of um, inmates uh, resorting to bringing food material in uh, their cells, uh, which was uh, ir- uh, uh, not allowed, but um, for for various reasons and. Um, the subsequent uh, investigations that you alluded to were also followed on by a, uh, <clears throat> a legal challenge um, under Justice uh, Soldana, who subsequently ruled by agreement between ourselves and the NGO uh, that took us to, to court um, to the effect that we will set a standard to say our uh, correctional, uh, well, firstly, uh, POSMO itself would um, uh, strive to stay within the 150% occupancy level um, as the maximum uh, level. And by the time uh, the six months period that the court had given us, um, uh, you know, expired, we in fact had brought uh, the numbers down to, I think, um, 147%. So just uh, uh, short of the maximum uh, uh, sort of uh, occupancy in terms of that judgment. But subsequent to that, the numbers have continued to fluctuate, uh, mainly to do with the fact that uh, the, the, the main challenge in our overcrowding overall overcrowding situation arises from our remand section. The remand section is uh, where people are awaiting trial. Now, <clears throat> there are various factors that result in delayed finalization of uh, criminal matters, which means that if people are not on bail, have to be 
kept with us. You can only keep people in a police cell for no longer than seven days, and thereafter uh, they can only be kept in a correctional facility, which becomes the responsibility of correctional services. Can I ask a question in that regard, yes. please? The Constitution talks at Section 35, if I recall correctly, that you must be brought before a court within, within 48, 48 hours. hours. Yes, that's correct. Talk about the 48 hours and the seven days at a police cell. I don't understand that. <laughs> well, the 48 hours is your right to be brought before a magistrate, and only a magistrate can authorize your further detention. I see. Very well. So that's the context. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> but going forward, so beyond seven days, uh, you have to be kept in a correctional facility. Yes. Now, we as correctional services, as the end point, can never say we're overcrowded, we cannot take any more. Uh, in fact, we've gone to the extent of finding ourselves even accommodating people with mental conditions because the Department of Health didn't have sufficient accommodation uh, to keep all the people uh, under observation, especially. Let me put you right there, Minister, because you're talking about a Section 41 imperative now in terms of cooperation and intergovernmental relations of the Constitution. And we do want to spend some time talking about your public institutions who are partners with you. It's JEX, it's the Department of Health, and some will talk about. But we have to take an ad break. For those listeners at home, we are in conversation with Claire Ballard, attorney at Lawyers for Human Rights, as well as advocate Michael Masuta, who's the Minister at the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development, as well as Correctional Services. We'll be back right after this. And the number to call if you want to have a conversation with us and contribute to this debate and discussion on the rights of inmates, the number is 891 If you are too shy but nonetheless want to contribute, WhatsApp us your voice note on 0614-104-107. Advocate Masuta, you mentioned overcrowding. Let's talk about remand facilities in particular. The Polsmore report penned by Justin Cameron, I'm just going to use that one as an example of what generally we can expect to be the situation for most parts in the 240-odd correctional facilities in the country. 8,000 inmates in the entire prison facility. It's extremely overcrowded at 300%. The Posmore female facility currently houses 787 inmates but has capacity for only half this number. And this is a remand facility, and I think this is what people ought to understand. These are not persons who have been found guilty. These are persons at law who are not guilty of anything, but are waiting to have their fate determined before the justice system. How then can it be persons who have a status before the law like me and you, not guilty, be treated so inhumanely? Where are the bottlenecks? And I ask this against the background that it obviously isn't just the province of correctional services. You've got public works, for instance, in terms of maintaining the building, expanding the facilities. You've got the Department of Health to come through from a health perspective, social development, particularly when there are children involved, Department of Sports and Recreation, specifically as it pertains to rehabilitation and Department of Education for that matter, as well as the JICS, Judicial Inspectorate for Correctional Services. Your partners, are they coming to the party such that we can have less of these statistics I've just read? First of all, let me put matters in perspective. Thank you. South Africa experiences high levels of crime, especially violent crime. And law enforcement has a responsibility primarily to keep all South Africans safe. So in the end, we have to make sure that whichever way the system works, 
South Africans must feel less and less vulnerable to violent crime. And therefore, the system cannot compromise the security and the safety of our people um, at the expense of, you know, uh, some or other justification. That's the one point to recognize. So yes. we do need to bring the levels of violence. If you look at the Western Cape, which is dubbed uh, the murder capital um, of, of, of the country, if not of, uh, I won't go beyond that, we do realize that there are underlying social, socioeconomic conditions that need to be addressed to, 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 to bring those uh, crime levels down. If you look at places like Kailicha and some of your colored townships, etc., people are living on top of each other. We need to address those special and, um, you know, special challenges. So put that aside. People have committed offenses. You have to make room for them to be kept uh, in a manner that uh, keeps them and society safe. Uh, regardless of whether they're waiting trial or not. Now, who determines whether a person should be detained um, uh, for any extended periods of time? We've just talked about the 48 hours. A court has to make that determination whether your further detention is justified or not. And if it grants you bail, obviously you await trial outside of a correctional facility. If you are not granted bail, you have a right to appeal against that decision. The judicial process kicks in. That is the pre-trial stage, and that's where the remand situation. Now, why are we having overcrowding particularly challenging uh, at the remand stage? If you take the Western Cape, for example, there's been periods when there has been a huge upsurge uh, for example, after we complied uh, with the doctor, with uh, Judge Saldana's uh, 150%, for example, brought down from the 300% you alluded to earlier, which, by the way, is a 2015 statistic. So remember that things have since radically changed between 2015 and now. For the good or for uh, the worse? For the better. Thank you. Like I told you, by the six months time frame, dating from November or December 2016 uh, forward, by the time the six months time frame had lapsed, we were already at 147. So we were already in full compliance with that judgment. All right. So that issue set aside. But subsequent there, no less than uh, I was told by the regional commissioner of the Western Cape, soon thereafter, within a year, we had already an injection of 4,000 new injection into the Western Cape uh, correctional system of awaiting trials because of a sudden upsurge, especially with the violent crime uh, incidents. So it keeps fluctuating. Now, you could ask, well, why don't you distribute these people across other correctional centers in order to bring the numbers down? That's precisely one of the strategies we used in response to Sultana because obviously we're not going to build facilities overnight. It takes planning, it takes budgeting, we're in austerity as a country. So there are all those challenges, all right? Now, the Another difficult... one of those challenges, sorry to interrupt, is the fact that now you're removing the prisoner or the inmate away from his family and That's environment. That's precisely the point I'm getting. To. Sure. Now, you see, the difficulty is not only removing the 
inmate from the family and access to family support, etc., you are actually creating a logistical nightmare because now you have to uh, transport on a probably daily basis an inmate from a further distance from the uh, uh, court where they're supposed to appear uh, for their trial. Now, then you need to have budget, look at the budgetary implications in terms of the vehicles, the cost of running them, the timelines that it then takes, which means longer hours for uh, staff who then have to travel longer distances to bring inmates from uh, further uh, correctional centers. It's easier with sentenced uh, inmates unless they are, in addition to being sentenced, still awaiting trial for other offenses that they may have committed within the jurisdiction where they are kept or even in other provinces, which is another complication because you then have to transport them uh, to further uh, distances uh, where they have to uh, stand trial for other offenses even after they have been convicted. But that's another story for another day. Now, the essence of the challenge that we're having is that because of the one fluctuation in the incidence of crime, especially violent crime, which results in persons awaiting trial being kept in prison because the safety of the public is paramount and uh, you know, there are criteria to determine whether you qualify for bail or not, and that's administered by the courts, by the way. So that's a different matter. But for as long as we as correctional services are confronted with cases of people who stay in our correctional uh, centers awaiting trial for longer periods because of the time it takes to finalize their matters, that result in the pressure in terms of overcrowding, especially in those facilities. Now, how are we addressing that? There's a number of interventions that we're using on the judiciary on its side. The Chief Justice initiated this uh, National uh, Efficiency Enhancement Committee and their provincial counterparts, the PECs, to bring together the various stakeholders uh, in the system, in the value chain, to ensure that there's cooperation so that there is expeditious finalization of matters. But, you know, I meet some of the prosecutors and they tell me that, you see, the reality is that if a uh, accused person wants to drag a case, they will change lawyers today or the lawyer will say they're not available for this or other reason. And if the magistrate becomes, uh, puts his foot down to get the matter finalized, that's exactly where they want you because they will say you put us under pressure, we didn't receive a fair trial because we're not properly represented, and then bring an appeal against that decision. And then the, the, the matter just drags even further on, and that just aggravates the problem rather than ameliorate it. So there are those realities to deal with. Let's talk about those realities. Lawyers for Human Rights, Claire, talks about prisoners' rights yes. and the litigation program that comes with that. Notwithstanding the issues, some of them are very systemic that the minister has referred to, Claire. But unfortunately, that doesn't detract from the fact that these are still nonetheless human beings who have got fundamental, non-derogable rights. The picture that the minister paints here doesn't at all accord to what I would imagine is one of your biggest concerns and the rights of prisoners nonetheless in the system are being infringed day in and day out. Your response? 
Thank you, Songhezo. Just to check first, am I being heard this time? I'm sorry that I've been I've been cut off um, on a Absolutely. couple of occasions. Yes, yes. Okay, um, Songhezo, I, I, you, as, as the attorney who brought that Paulsmore litigation, I have um, some uh, sort of fundamental issues with the way the minister has characterised the litigation. And that the first is this: is that you know he painted a, a portrait of, of inmates. Um, of their own accord bringing food into their cell. And that's simply a, a gross mischaracterization. There's no dining hall for inmates. They don't eat outside. They don't eat in the passage. They eat in their cell. They are locked up in that remand facility for 23 hours a day. So to, 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 so to suggest that they are um, flouting some sort of rules by bringing food into their cells, I, I think, is, is grossly misleading. The second is that, uh, that, you know, that the respondent or the, the department and government, as the respondent in the case, have complied. Once again, that's not true. Um, you know, the minister made the point that an order was made ultimately by agreement, and, and that's um, again, that's a gross misrepresentation. The department or, or, or um, the respondent who was instructed by the minister fought this case for, for two and a half to three years. Um, the order that came down from the court was a supervisory interdict, which is a, a you know a, a grave indictment on on the behaviour of, of the department and the ministry. And although they were compliant um, within six months of, of the capacity directive from 300% to 150%, um, to suggest that there has been a surge in violent crime since then, and that, and that is why the numbers have gone up again once true, because that doesn't accord with the fact. There hasn't been an upsurge in violent crime, and there haven't been an upsurge in admissions. If anything, there's been a decrease in prison admissions over the last three to four years. Um, so again, it, it's a mischaracterization that I'm very, very concerned um, is, is being put out there. Um, so, you know, the minister is sort of is very quick to to suggest that it's that it's the courts that are making um, decisions about bail and who will get remanded and, and who won't. You know, it's the police who, who make the arrests. You know, it's the, it's the it's the province of the country that that is crime ridden, and these are all 100 um, percent true. Um, there's no quarrelling with that. But the Constitution and the legislation, which the government itself made and its own directives, make it very, very clear that it's within the department's um, a sort of um, area of, of responsibility to accommodate people in conditions consistent with human dignity. And all they did following the, the, the order from, from Judge Saldana in June was to shuffle prisoners around the province. Um, there was no address to, to uh, take a long, hard look at the factors of overcrowding. And it's not just numbers. We're talking about ablution facilities woefully inadequate. We're talking about prisoners using toilets, having to eat in their cells next to those toilets. Um, and so, you know, having, having cells infested with, with lice and rats. It, it's not just about the numbers. A reduction of numbers uh, um, goes, a, goes a tremendous way to reducing those kinds of problems. But the legislation makes it very clear that if you're in violation of those standards, Status of the government and the Department of Correctional Services that's the fault and must be accountable. And okay. of course, public works must be involved in there, is, and there must be a, a sense of of, of, invo- of involvement from from CSOs and and greater government bodies. But the legislation has made it very clear that the, the buck stops with the department. Yeah, it's about to get lit. Thank you so much for your contributions there, Claire. We have to take a quick ad break, and then we're going to go to the callers very quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Can I just, though, indicate? Hang on, Mr. I think it's best to respond once you have time, because now we have to take the ad break. Perhaps it's a good time now. The mid-year matric examinations are closer. If you ever wrote matric and didn't pass, or wish to rewrite to upgrade your marks, 
this one is for you. The Department of Basic Education and SABC Education bring you the Second Chance Matrix Support Program to assist those who do not have a matric certificate. Access learning materials on education.gov.za or go to your local education district. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. We're back, 891 Three very quick calls. I do want the minister to respond. Perhaps what is going to be said in these calls might dovetail with what uh, Claire has said earlier on. So with respect, minister, let's take Mashele from Kharankova very quickly. Hello. Good evening. Away, away, away. Not so bad. God is great. Very quickly. That, that is a problem because this is a serious matter but then I'm give, we are given very short time I don't know because we have got to solve our I mean our our problems in this country and not only in this country but the world at large so but with you know bubble gum thing you know is not this way we are not going to solve because for example I wanted to know before the Europeans came to Africa did we have prisons can someone answer me? Can you give us your points? The people at the relevant time will reply, please. Hello? We can hear you. We're just asking for your contributions. And at the relevant time... You can't time, hear me. No, we can hear you. We are saying just make your point short and quick. And at the relevant time, the minister or Claire will respond. We do have other callers who want to use the time as well. It's unfortunate we can't... It's unfortunate we can't proceed with Michelle in Kharankoe because we seem to be breaking up with him. We've got from Johannesburg, Nomaswazi. Nomaswazi, hello. Good day, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. I'm just concerned about my, my son as well in Lukop. What is your concern and can you please just raise the matter shortly and succinctly, please? Uh, about issues. Uh, that are uh, we here at at, uh, at prisons. I'm afraid we're going to have to proceed. Uh, I, I don't understand what's going on. Please, if you're going to call us, p- make sure you are ready and make sure whatever it is that you wish to say, you say it in the allotted time. Unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of time to speak. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to say this every single time. And if I be the bad person for sticking to time, then so be the case. But Minister, you wanted to respond to what Claire had said in terms of your alleged uh, mischaracterization yeah, of certain facts. I, I just wonder if in reality the kind of picture she's painting was true. How many deaths would have uh, encountered in this country, or even at Pulse more specifically? How many people would have been carried to emergency hospitals throughout the Western Cape because of uh, diseases of all kinds, etc.? I mean, really, this thing of dramatizing um, situations in a manner that seeks to whip up emotions and sensationalize issues very often does not assist us in solving problems. So without really wanting to respond in any specific way to specific issues, she's basically saying everything I'm saying is untrue. Uh, I suppose I'll never say anything that will be true as far as she's concerned. Reality is there has been 
incidents of upsurges which were even reported uh, uh, generally, even in the media, um, in, uh, in, in certain parts of the Western Cape and possibly other areas in, in South Africa. And when those upsurges occur, you will see the numbers fluctuating accordingly. Now, unless she wants to say that there is no fluctuation, or if she says there is fluctuation, she must explain to us how that fluctuation occurs. Um, if it's not because of the actual intakes that uh, that happen. So I'm just saying that if we really want to have an intelligible discussion, let's just be um, moderate in the manner in which we characterize issues and uh, not exaggerate and, and try to whip up emotions in the process. That's all I'm pleading for, so that we have an intelligent uh, engagement, intelligible engagement. Before you reply, Claire, we have to go to a quick ad break that has been paid for by the IEC. It's yours immediately afterwards. The following party election broadcast is brought to you in terms of the ICASA regulations governing the election period. The views expressed in this party election broadcast are those of the political party and not those of the SABC. Fellow South Africans, I'm Patricia Delo, proud leader of the Good Movement. We are facing many challenges today, from gender-based violence to corruption, crime, unemployment and load shedding. Our country has had enough of the bad and deserves some good. Vote for good on the 8th of May. Visit forgood.org.za to see how good people are going to fix South Africa. This party election broadcast was brought to you in terms of the ICASA regulations governing the election period. The views expressed in this party election broadcast are those of the political party and not those of the SABC. on the viewpoint. I hear you are talking about the humanity in prison, but you forget about the law-abiding people, which is victims out there who are suffering because of criminals. Now criminals must be treated like VIPs, eating KFC in jail. And they have a right to go to school, to do whatever they want. Whereas those criminals kill the breadwinners or the persons who are looking after the law-abiding children at school. Now, the children can't go to school because of funds at universities we got offense because of the criminals now the criminals must be considered a corner south africa is taking us nowhere good evening songezo this is Sabelo from fall christ i just want to ask the minister one question how are we going to stop treating the prisoners like they are guests in our prisons in our prisons because now you're giving them a, a five-star treatment those people they've seen they've done wrong things but they have hot cold water uh, cosmetics for free clothes which a normal south african citizen doesn't have i will suggest if one day as south african we can work together and see how we can best correctional services other than giving them a five star that's why they will always go back to the prison thank you Claire, you heard all of that. You heard the minister's response. Look, I don't want this to be now to and fro because there are some of the issues. But can you respond, Claire, specifically? Yes, there are prisoner rights, but the majority of South Africans, some of these rights that are championed, 
they don't have ready access to on a day-to-day basis if the thesis of the lost um, contribution by way of voice note is anything to go by. And perhaps you can package that in terms of the mischaracterization allegedly that you raised from the minister. Certainly, Sangeza. I'll start with with, uh, um, the most recent um, comment. I think the best thing that the Department of Justice can do about crime is to prosecute criminals. We currently, um, the NPA convicts 8% of recorded crime. Um, some of those, some of those who are convicted go to prison and, and some don't. So I think, and look, I'm, I'm at pains to make it clear that the, the prison population is never an indicator of the success of our prosecution rate or the success with which we, um, with effectiveness, effective level of, um, um, of how we were actually dealing with crime. Um, and I, and I think that distinction is very, very important to make. That often the, the, the prison, the number, the prison population and the crime rate um, don't really have any meaningful relation to each other. Um, certainly not in terms of numbers. And then to respond to the minister, who I, I, I seem to believe, believe that my, I might be, be <laughs> being a bit emotional. And I, look, if I, I'm relying on 30 years worth of statistics, statistics that come from his department. There are daily fluctuations and even weekly fluctuations in um, in, in Vermont detention numbers. Yes, of course there are. There are there are periods of extreme violence, and then the, and then it goes down. We you know, and it, it dies down. We know that. We know that it happens in in December and January, and in the you know the the population declines. But I'm talking about 30 years worth of statistical research, which suggests that a place like Baltimore and similarly um, aligned prisons have been often at, at a percent uh, often have been at a rate of 290% capacity and more. If that makes this, this response emotional or exaggerated, then so be it. But I invite the minister to respond to my, to my representations with actual statistics, as I have. I, I don't think he's done that at all. Can we just do some bit of contexting here? We started this discussion by alluding to the Saldana judgment as a point of reference. We acknowledge that in 2015, there were almost 300% uh, overcrowding situations, that a number of judicial investigations, uh, uh, you know, a number of other institutions of state, NGOs and everybody else came to uh, raise that concern about the situation in Polsmo, that there was litigation, yes, and we went to court. And what we were asking for the court is um, a reasonable outcome which would be practical to implement and we got that and that was we didn't get a hundred percent order for example occupancy we got 150 which we're prepared to settle with and therefore we didn't oppose uh, that order you know (laughs) otherwise we could have appealed that decision we were comfortable with it because we felt the decision was fair so for her to come here and um, say, well, it wasn't um, an agreed, you know, it's all a matter of semantics. I think uh, let's focus on a constructive, constructive engagement around these issues. Subsequent to Soldana, we kept the numbers way below 300%. So we can't continue to go back beyond that period because there has been responsiveness to the situation there has been in fact saldana was used as a norm nationally to say we should keep um, as much as possible all our correctional facilities within that norm there has been 
uh, other remand detentions where I visited where the percentage was still 200%. And I had to inquire, why are you struggling to keep it within the norm? And there was always explanations of the kind such as we dealt with earlier. So it's not any easy. I wish it was as simple as um, going to buy a loaf of bread somewhere. It, the reality is that even with our planned expansion of increasing the bed space by 18,000 bed spaces within the next 10 years, which is in line with uh, our projection in terms of our economic uh, constraints, you still have a situation where you will still have, as long as the crime levels in this country are at uh, the levels that they are, as long as the socioeconomic disparities that we inherited, which drive the levels of crime, continue to, 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 to be where they are, we will continue to have these challenges. That's why Minister, government takes a multi-pronged strategy you've, to, you, to you've respond point, to this. Minister. Let's talk about something constructive now. Not that this was destructive, but I think we don't want to get bogged down in the detail of this matter. Look, th- th- there's a basic understanding that we have a problem in our correctional facility. Exactly. Okay, let's talk about now correcting these things. Let's talk about rehabilitation programs. For instance, in Brazil, there's a prison that gives inmates keys as part of the APAC program. The APAC program is the Association for the Protection and Assistance to the Convicted. Could South Africa ever get to such a level? You know, part of the challenge has been, although in terms of white paper, we have shifted in terms of uh, orientation from running a uh, prison system to a correction system and therefore putting emphasis on rehabilitation and social reintegration, the reality is that with the kind of pressures on uh, budgetary uh, you know, planning, with the high levels of crime that we talk to and with the uh, overcrowding and shortage of vet space and so on, you still find the bulk of the budget going towards incarceration as a core uh, function. Of, of the department. Now, with the limited resources, yes, we have not been able to reach the levels of rehabilitation we'd want to in terms of numbers as well as social reintegration levels that we'd love to. Um, but let me indicate that um, you would have observed, for example, last year, the number of graduates that we've been able to churn out uh, in Boxback. Um, back when we started the pro- program in 2009 of introducing uh, basic education in our uh, system, we hardly had any schools uh, in our prisons. Now we have at least 14 dedicated schools. Um, that's progress. Every year we release the results that the schools are yielding. We result, uh, release the results that our inmates are yielding at various levels of tertiary education, including master's degrees that some of them acquire. And when they leave our correctional centers, we've demonstrated uh, in the form of a whole number of uh, former inmates who have excelled in different fields of life, in music and other areas. So I believe that, and most importantly, I want to indicate that when we took office five years ago, compliance with uh, parole conditions and conditions under community correction was around um, 86, 85% respectively. We have now reached the 99% mark. This means effectively that people under our supervision upon being released from prison, 99% of those people comply with our conditions, which include non-reoffending. 
So there are things to celebrate in terms of the gains we've been able to achieve. So I think there's a lot more that we can talk about. Now, the other... uh, 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 the other Before we do that, Minister, let me just give Claire an opportunity to express her view. I mean, when you talk about parole, I only think of Shabir Sheikh. Claire, what has been the experience from your prisoners' rights program and the IP that you've generated to confirm what it is that the Minister is saying? I mean, to a certain extent, I'm in agreement with the Minister. Um, I I think there are um, phenomenal achievements that occur um, whilst whilst defenders are are, um, undergoing a period of incarceration. I just wish this was the norm. I I wish that, uh, like the legislation envisages, um, inmates and offenders could could go to to a prison, any prison in the country, and expect to um, be treated, um, rehabilitated through vocational... Um, programs through education, through psychosocial um, outreach and so on, but that simply isn't the case. There isn't a, a consistent and regularized and structured program for all prisons. Um, and, I, and I think that is an enormous problem, given that rehabil- rehabilitation is, is vitally important to um, reducing the crime rate um, and to reducing the level of, of recidivism. So, I mean, in principle, I think uh, there have been phenomenal, phenomenal achievements my concern is that so often those achievements are done um, in spite of, of the Correctional Services uh, Department as opposed to um, a consequence of it. Can I respond to this? Yeah, I was about to say, thank you so much, Claire, for your thoughts. I think because of the time constraints that we have, we're just going to give the balance of the time to the minister and for me to wrap up. But nonetheless, thank you so much for your contributions. Well, minister, it's all yours. Let me tell you, I have the privilege that every offender who's serving life, when they're due for consideration for parole, I get to read their file. And in reading, going through their file, I get to know what kind of rehabilitation programs have they been through, what kind of educational or other training uh, opportunities have they, have they uh, been through. And this I need in order to assess the suitability of placement for, uh, for parole, including risk assessment to determine you know, based on psychosocial assessments, etc., to determine the prospects of them reoffending upon being placement, being placed on parole, etc. And I can tell you, there has been significant uh, improvement. We realize that with shortage of staff, with overcrowding and other challenges, we're not able to reach the numbers that we'd want to reach. But I think you need to judge our correctional system in context. South Africa is a country is a developing country. It's not a developed country. And therefore, the challenges that confront us as a correctional system mirror the broader challenges of society that we have. The uh, needs for education, for health care, etc., have to be balanced against the resources we inject into uh, the rights, uh, ensuring the rights of our correctional uh, inmates as well. In the 10 seconds that we have, tell us what you know about the release of King Buyala Kaya it is a matter for the president to make a determination on. I've done my part and made my submission to the president, and it's really up to him to exercise his constitutional right there. Thank you. That was the Minister of the Department of Justice, Constitutional Development and Correctional Services, and a trained advocate, Michael Masuda, together in conversation with another guest of ours who joined us on the phone. That was Ms. Claire Bollard, an attorney at Lawyers for Human Rights and the head of the Prisoners' Rights Litigation Program. We could always talk more about this. South Africa certainly has problems when it comes to correctional services. I've visited their centres. leaves much to be desired. But what the Minister has said, to an extent, is quite encouraging. With that, it's 9 o'clock. It's time for the 9 o'clock news.